0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Let me tell you a little bit about Bet Online. It remains your number one spot for NBA, MLB, MMA, boxing. It doesn't matter. Every single prop, every single play, every single point, it's all at Bet Online. When it comes to bets, when it comes to props, everything that you need is at your headquarters for sports betting that's bet online head to the website right now use your mobile device sign up get a 50 that's 50% welcome bonus don't forget to use the promo code b l e a v that's believe to get yourself a 50% welcome bonus come on there's no need to hesitate bet online where the game starts all right let's get down to business an active lifestyle can cause hemorrhoids, that sucks. Lucky for you, they're South of the Border. South of the Border is a holistic approach to dealing with the affected area. Go to southoftheborder.com, use code AHOLE, A-H-O-L-E, get yourself 30% off, that's pretty rad. And this is not an area of your body you wanna put bad ingredients in. Make sure you turn to South of the Border. southoftheborder.com, code AHOLE. I hope you're ready. To have your mind blown with the greatest health and fitness information on the planet. <laughs> yes, bitch! Alright, so last time I did a Q&A, and it was Q&A part one, because I ended up getting so many good questions that I couldn't just do one podcast. I actually ended up accumulating all these amazing questions from you. The normies. You, the proletariat, giving questions to me. The bourgeois. <laughs> All right, so like I said, it's as simple as that. Last episode of Mikey Likes You was a QA. I got too many good questions, so this is QA part two. Let's get right into it. Z Deal How can I get my ass to work out and break my bad habits? Eating poorly and not exercising, in parentheses. I'll be honest with you, dude. I don't know if I can give you information or advice that'll tell you this is how you do it. Because I don't I don't think there is like these hard kind of detailed rules about finding passion or motivation to do something. It just so happens that I find the motivation and the ability to value exercise and nutrition. So I do it pretty consistently and have for a long time. But there are many other facets of life that I, I struggle. I browbeat myself, like how can I get myself to do this? And sometimes I can't, you know, man. And I, I don't think that there's a way that someone can instruct you on how to develop a passion for something that you may not necessarily be passionate for. One thing I will say though, is that when it comes to exercise and health and fitness and nutrition and dieting and all these things that you're kind of referencing with your question, I found that it's not about purely developing discipline to do these things that aren't necessarily very comfortable. Once I was able to apply my level of development, my level of self development around these habits everything became easier what i mean by that was instead of looking at if i eat this food it'll make me fat if i eat this food it will keep me ripped i said i started to look at everything as if i do this exercise if i eat this food this will make me feel good physically spiritually emotionally this makes me feel good It may suck right now, but I will wake up tomorrow and I will feel like a better Mike. If I eat this food or do this exercise or don't do these exercises, I will feel bad. I will feel puffy. I will feel bloated. I will feel lethargic. If I eat this food, I feel energized. I feel uh, proud of my body um, and I I feel invigorated. If I eat this food, I feel lethargic and sluggish and puffy. And once I started looking at it... uh, that way as opposed to if I eat this food, it's not on my diet. If I eat that food, it is. I just looked at it it's like what, it, what makes me feel powered up? Like if you're playing Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter, right? And you have the, you're, you're, in the, you're in the battle and you're bash and you have your little power bar. I have foods and I have exercises and I have habits and I have practices that make my power bar go up. Some of them even give me that like uh, Mario, you know, Super Mario star feeling. You know, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on top of the game. Other stuff, it just zaps it. It zaps it. And um, so my life force and my essence as a whole, spiritually, like I said, emotionally and all that, once I started applying it to exercise and eating, that became more effortless. It wasn't such a concerted effort. So that's the best advice I can give you uh let's see here next question from beso del sol how did rudy and dr drew pinsky meet all right rudy cisneros aka culo breaker my cousin rudy cisneros my primo well they met through love line dr drew uh i don't think was aware of how talented and how charismatic my cousin rudy was and once they met as is the case with pretty much everybody they liked Rudy better than they liked me. Dr. Drew, my wife, all of my friends, uh, most anyone who's ever listened to me on the radio or in a podcast form, people like my cousin better than me. And that's, that's the way they met. Speaking of Loveline, Sever Nyask says, Do you miss doing Loveline? And then there's a comment underneath from Sabine Alice. Uh, yes, great question. It was a bold decision to leave such a great show. I guess it was a bold decision, but it wasn't something, it wasn't like a grand idea that I had. Like, I'm going to move on to bigger and better things. Um, it was, it was, I do miss doing Loveline. I miss doing Loveline like crazy. In fact, Dr. Drew and I are working pretty hard to try and make it a thing again. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's ever been anything in a professional capacity obviously my personal life there's been things that have meant more to me but there's been uh, times like music and I know people like roll their eyes because uh, they think well you're not a very prolific musician no you're right but it is what I wanted to do initially and when I have had a chance to do it I do it now in like a parody song or comedy song capacity and you know Trent Reznor and Axl Rose are not my heroes. Tenacious D and Ween and Weird Al; those are those were genuinely always kind of like my heroes. Devo. It didn't necessarily have to be purely comedic, but it was um, something going down on the farm. Um, it didn't necessarily have to be purely comedic, but there always had to be a comedic tinge to it. Even things, even bands like Queens of the Stone Age were always really important to me because. They took their work very seriously, but everything could be—you never knew there was going to be songs that were handled with comedy, with with a with a sense of uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, approach. Um, Faith, no more. Clearly, any any Mike Patton um, project, you know, you got the sense that these were skilled musicians working really hard, doing great music, but they they didn't take themselves as seriously as they uh, as maybe other rock stars did, and I, that always was appealed to me very much. So. When I do Brown Christmas with my cousin Rudy, uh, when I do you know Hey there, vagina that that means a lot to me. I get I get goosebumps because I'm passionate about it. But besides that, Loveline's really the only thing in my life, in my professional life, that I've ever had that really meant something to me. When I was doing it, you know, I wasn't cashing a check. I could talk to people, which is what I like to do having professional conversations and it was a really broad range of people the volume and the variety of conversations that I would have whether it be with the guest or the callers and of course with my boy Dr. Drew right across from me it was uh, perfect in my opinion it was perfect for me Um, so I do miss it I wish it could have been different when when I decided to leave uh and now I'm hoping to make it a reality again. Next question. Dag Stephen, what's the longest you have stayed on a bulk trying to decide when it's a good time to come off and cut or if I should just keep enjoying the strength gains? Also, which Gracie brother is the greatest? Okay, two big questions. Let's start with what's the longest you stayed on a bulk? Uh, maybe a year, a year or two. Um, and also, I don't have... like a lot of guys do if you listen to the episode i did with justin harris uh you know a a real world class bodybuilding prep coach i've never been a guy who could get big i was never a big person i'm not a big person now and i've never been a big person but um i noticed that if i really buckled down with my training and followed a diet for any concerted amount of time i could develop a, a nice looking physique right but i've never a big i have really small genetic like really small i'm so I'm like Shaquille O'Neal for my family, and I'm 5'10". My mom's 4'11". It's not a joke. And her parents were pretty small herself. On my Mexican side, my dad's, my dad's not a big man. My dad's 5'7", I think. Um, and he had some freaks in his family, like, uh, generations past that were like 6'2", you know, with a freak out of nowhere. But most of the people in my family are really small, not only short, but small, small people. So I was never going to be like, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, but I, I could be Jason Statham, you know, and I think at times I am that, that you know, like, or, you know, uh, uh, someone, a couple people are like, you, you're, you're getting the fight, you know, the Tyler Durden look. And I was like, A, wrong, but B, thank you. So at least I'm in that ballpark of like the, when it comes to fat loss and when it comes to aesthetics. So I never bulked for like long periods of time. I never got over I was like at my biggest, like two ten. And that was with tons of steroids and stuff. And when I was young, everything was going well. But I didn't look good and I knew it was time. And here's the thing about bulking. I'm going to look – and I want you to understand this, Dag Stephen. I'm not saying this with any type of judgment or in a way of pointing a finger at you or trying to be uh, hurtful. I'm not saying this in a derogatory way at all but you are representative of a lot of people out there yeah men especially you have no business bulking you're overweight you're overweight you need to whatever however long you've been considering switching to a cut it needs to be tonight and i'm not saying that to be a dick because you're not fat you don't look bad you don't you're not a bad looking person because of your physique clearly uh, you, you've been enjoying the strength gains. you've been training for a long time and you've gotten big, strong muscles, that's awesome. And I understand the desire to do that. But unless you're going to be a competitive strength athlete where your strength really matters, you could give a fuck about your body fat levels because you just want to keep getting stronger. If that's the case, fine. You're an outlier. If you're going to be a competitive, high-level competitive bodybuilder, not some like local show dude, and you need to just keep getting bigger. You need to get up close to three hundred pounds so that you could even stand a chance to compete with the good guys. That you're an outlier. But outside of that, all people need to get body fat down. Men, women, old, young. This it's crazy that in this country right now we have people that are like worried about. I'm gonna go continue my bulk. Fuck that. Men need to be under twenty percent body fat. Women need to be under twenty five. We need to start getting our heads on straight, okay? I do not think people need to get shredded because if you go too far in the opposite direction, it can actually have health problems too and it, it, it kind of ruins your life. You know, I, I, my markers are always like when women complain about not having a menstrual cycle and they're not on birth control, they just stop having their period because they're so shredded and they're training so much and stuff. That's a bad thing. Unless you're getting a paycheck, that's a really bad thing. And when guys stop getting horny, that's a bad thing. When a 22 year old guy talks to me about how, like, yeah, I don't even, I can't even get a boner anymore, man, because, you know, I'm just, I'm 6% body fat and I've been dieting for 12 weeks. It's like, whoa, what are we doing? Whoa, whoa. But. If you're not in a healthy body fat range, you're, any chance, even if you're supplementing with exogenous hormones, you're, the chances of your hormone profile, of your internal uh, working, your internal function, be it your organs, your musculoskeletal system, your mood, everything going on internally, if you're not in a reasonable body fat range, it's all haywire. Okay? And you can... You can do TRT and you can cold plunge. and You can do all you want. But if you're 28% body fat, it's all for nothing. And I encourage people to get jacked, to throw in some muscle mass because muscle mass is healthy. But let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater and start continually being this perma-bulker when you're fat. When you're genuinely overweight. We haven't really seen a huge jump since about the 90s where high-level bodybuilders were in the off-season getting to about 300 pounds. and Their stage weight could be a variety, but you're seeing these guys, by and large, getting up to 285, 290, 300 pounds, maybe a little over 300, and then they died down, and they're showing up on stage shredded at 260. How many of them are living into their 90s? That's a lot of oxygenated tissue to deal with, and it's not really that good for you but if you're going to be Mr. Olympia go for it if you're not, if you don't even have a chance at sniffing that or you're just casually into bodybuilding, what are we doing get yourself down into the teens and body fat maybe get down close to 10 once or twice in your life so that you can maintain it a little bit easier and let's go this whole idea of physical culture bodybuilding, powerlifting, any of it it's all built around health in, in its initial stages, it was all built around being vigorous and powerful and strong and healthy, resilient to the outside forces, strong, vigorous. Being over Having high levels of body fat throws all of that out. I don't care how much your deadlift is. I don't care how much your bench press is. Now, again, if you want to compete in powerlifting, then take everything I'm saying and just go like this because that's a whole different ballgame. You're an outlier. And if if you need to – I don't care what your body fat levels are. If you're competitive in powerlifting and you just need to get those numbers up, you do what you need to do about dieting. Talk to a powerlifting coach. Don't talk to me. But don't sit here and be like a regular dude who's just into fitness talking about should I stay on the bulk longer when you're already over 20% body fat. Because I'm a 44-year-old guy. I'll be 45 soon. And I'm into bodybuilding. I'm into my physique. And, everything. and I like to bulk, as you call it. I take time when I'm not dieting down. That is like I go from 9% to 12%. And then I'm like, okay, it's time to ratchet it back up. Being 30% and being like, dude, I just need to get a little bit more beef on me. No, what are we doing? You're killing yourself. You're killing yourself. And you're asking me, should I stay on the boat? Bu- when do you know when it's time to pull a plug? It's times now. The time was actually three years ago. Okay? And and I'm, dude, I don't, I appreciate you asking this question. It's a great question. And I'm not making fun of you and I'm not trying to insult you. I'm saying that you asked a great question that is representative of a lot of guys, especially, where they're like, I don't know, man. I'm thinking about starting a cut, but I don't know whether or not. I think I need a little bit more, you know, leg growth or anything. And I'm like, dude, you're 40%, you're 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 really w- way overweight. You should be like wondering if you should consider bulking or cutting when you're like 15%. Okay? Like we got to get more realistic about this. Your second question, which Gracie brother's is the greatest? Now, it really depends what you mean by greatest. Greatest of all time fighting purely? I, I think it's impossible to deny Hickson. Greatest personality? I my personal belief is Henzo. Uh Hickson is a, is a real living samurai. Like everything about Hickson as far as like the who's the goat? We got to go with Hickson. But as far as like who's been the best for the Gracie family? Henner and Hiran have a great argument because what they do with their with their Gracie breakdowns and what they do with the Gracie Academy, they're they're awesome. Horian was in was the man who kind of put the ultimate fighting championship together. He was the one with the with the kind of the underground tapes where he was showing how effective Gracie Jiu-Jitsu could be against all forms of martial arts. So Horian's got to be mentioned. You know, like, it's really hard to break it down. It's like, what do you mean? Who's been who's been the most important for the name, for the sake of the legacy of, it's pretty hard to argue with, Hoist. The guy who's like my size, who just started trouncing dudes, huge men, powerful, huge dudes, and he was like, ah, no, please, I, I'm done, I'm done. So Hoyce has gotta be on that. But you know, it really depends. My, who's the best for me? Henzo, because he's the he's the most gangster. Henzo, I he's probably 50-something. He'll fight me right now if I step out of line. He, doesn't give it, he could be in flip-flops and his jeans. Slap the shit out of me. And, and all of you too. Tenzo's dope. Like that. Like Henzo's the Diaz brother of, of the Gracies. Um Hoiler's uh, Hoyler's awesome. I mean, they're also the Gracie family is really quite amazing when they make that biopic. You know, when they make like what they did with the Von Erich family in the in Ironclaw, when they make the Gracie movie, it's gonna be sick. Cause it's 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 almost impossible how dope they are. But if you if you if I had to pick one right now, like in their prime, who's the great Hickson. Hickson's the greatest. Uh wanna do dry January. Any thoughts or ideas for doing something after a hard day's work as a plumber and not stopping at Circle K for a 12 pack every day? Ooh, from G Garfunkel20. Great question. I don't like to give people advice on like sober challenges because I'm someone who's in recovery. And I know that sounds stupid because you're like, hey, you don't – you're sober. How about – but it's different. Making – putting a month on, the, on the, the calendar and saying I'm not going to drink for this month is a whole different exercise than deciding to live your life that way. Where I have to, after 22 years, still think of it as like one day I got to get through today. I got to get through today. Is it easier for me now than it was 22 years ago? Of course. But I still have urges. And I'm still probably just as susceptible to throwing my life away as I was when I was 22 years old. It's a different practice. Okay? And and so I just want to make that very clear i'm not saying don't do sober january i'm not saying i'm against it it's, it's actually a great thing if an adult to just try because you're talking about an intoxicant talk about any type of chemical when you're putting it in your body and you become dependent upon it and there's many levels of dependency right i'm not saying you're an alcoholic or that you have a drinking problem but you're you have as you pointed out this is my way of dealing with a hard day day's work and it's and it is being a plumber day in and day out it's tough work it's fucking difficult and you earn your money and uh, you got to deal with people too. On top of just the physical labor, you got to show up to people's house. Some people are probably jerks and they're they're probably just busting your chops and you're just trying to do your job. They don't understand plumbing whatsoever. So they start making ridiculous demands of you. I get it. But you're now, your your solace in life is, is a chemical, right? So it's probably really cool that you're going to just try for a month to see my best advice is to not look for alternatives, right? like well, I'll just start smoking weed. Um, my best advice would be to find stuff inside you as a grown man that can replicate that because in reality and i'm I'm treading i'm I'm walking on thin ice on purpose because i'm in recovery it does not mean i have any problems with people drinking or using drugs you're a grown adult you work hard you do you your relationship with drugs and alcohol is your business mine is mine so i'm not trying to insinuate that people it's a bad thing to drink or use drugs it's a bad thing for me that's it that's all i'm saying But you can't find your pleasure in life from any controlled substance. You can't. It can be a nice adjunct. Sure. I'm not fucking giving up my coffee. (laughs) You know, on a much smaller scale. Uh, I'm not giving up, you know, porn. Because I'm married, I'm going to be committed to my wife. But I'm not giving up, like, my small carnal pleasures of being by myself. Uh, you know, I I get it, but I I can't derive my solace and my comfort and my joy in life from anything that is a, some type of intoxicant, right? And nor should you. It's a great adjunct. I get it. It probably does do a good job if you're working hard as a plumber and people are busting your chops, but you have to find something else, not only inside of you, but also in the world around you that can be your real source of solace. And that should probably be your top priority in January as opposed to finding some alternative, right? Um, If you're talking for quick fixes, there's pretty – I hate to sound like the world's biggest meathead idiot. But there's pretty conclusive science to show that exercise is pretty damn good as far as stress release, as far as, you know, cranking up the endorphins and the dopamine. And, you know, it's great. It can be that for you. Meditation, I don't think meditation is as good as 12 packs, but it'll help. And de- skill development, it's the one that I think has been huge for me that a lot of people don't talk about. But developing a skill outside of just training to look and feel better, you know, martial arts, instruments, second languages, woodworking, drawing, painting, sculpting working on a skill something that's difficult and getting better at it seeing a seeing a marked increase in your ability to to do said skill is uh is wildly therapeutic you know but i do want to make it clear for all those people who may be thinking about asking me or someone else who's in recovery about you know, sober january and tips it, it's a different thing it's a different beast Captain Dave, sauna and cold plunge is all the rage right now. I have both and I love it, but – and this might be a stupid question. Is there a big difference from sitting naked in your backyard in the morning with temps at 38 degrees rather than 38-degree water, especially if shivering is the effect you want? I don't know. Andrew Huberman's probably a better guy to ask about that kind of stuff. But I do have to think that there is a slight difference in the sense that from the very remedial scientific mind that, uh, that I have being outdoors in 38 degree weather is different than being immersed in 38 degree water because 38 degree water, any point that it's touching is going to be 38 degrees. It can vary, probably not greatly, but it varies from different points on your body. And 38 degree weather, if you're barefoot, means that your feet are like at 20 something degrees, right? If you're barefoot and you walk in 38 degree weather, which would mean it's snowy, super frozen floor, the way that your feet come in contact with said, you know, frozen floor, it's going to be wildly different than the way the top of your skull is dealing with it, right? And then, of course, at different altitudes, different air pressures, you're going to feel slightly different. And your skin and different parts of your body have different levels of body fat and blah, 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 relax differently. So I would imagine there's probably a more uniform chemical reaction if you, you know, dunk your body in it. Outside of that, I don't know. And I don't want to pretend like I know. It would seem like if you're looking at the, the you know, the the reactive proteins and stuff that go on from the extreme weather, from like the uh, contrast of warmth and, and cold, probably if you walked outside in your underwear in Minnesota in winter, it would be similar. I don't know if it's, if it's any better or worse than a than a cold plunge, man. I'm sorry I can't be of more help, but uh, you know, or a scientist would <laughs> a scientist would be the right person to ask. But it, it, it's a, it's a it's a reasonable question, I think. CDKD two ten. What would you say to your 16 year old self, knowing what you know now? I would say to my 16 year old self. That's a really good question. I think one of the biggest developments someone can make as they mature is understanding what's cool and what's not, regardless of what is labeled as cool. I get the the thing I would say to my 16-year-old self is I would give my 16-year-old self the advice of learning how to discern between what what is perceived as cool and what is actually cool because the two can dress up very similarly but they're different things. Standing up for what you believe in is about as cool and as manly a thing as you can do regardless of the regardless of the discomfort that may come with doing so so one could assume rebellion is cool yes and no rebellion by throwing a brick through a window because it's against the law is not cool it's fucking stupid it's reckless If someone is forcing you to uh, defend a political or social idea that you don't genuinely believe in and you formulate a very reasonable and compelling argument to the contrary and have the balls to stand up for yourself and then present said reasonable, compelling argument, that's really cool. It's really cool banging a lot of chicks is cool it is i'm gonna pretend like it's not banging a lot of chicks at the expense of how they look at you as a man and also banging a lot of chicks at the expense of their self-worth is not cool at all in fact it's way more uncool than just not banging anybody Banging a lot of chicks and somehow figuring out a way to actually have them respect you too is the coolest. <laughs> Unless you made a decision to not have sex and you're be a virgin until marriage, that's cool. That, I, that's gangster. I'm not trying to pick on that. I'm i genu- I'm being sincere too. If you have if you have the belief in something at that, especially as, as a young person, and, and then commit to it, good for you. But if you're into sex, and you can bang a lot of people, and also alternatively treat them with dignity and respect. That's the coolest. So my point be well, what? My point being, what I would tell my sixteen-year-old self is like: learn how to unpack things that may look like the same thing, but are very different. Because things that are cool and awesome and appealing, can, and things that are are scumbag behavior, can often be in the very in a very similar costume. But you just got to be able to kind of undress them and be like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Wait. That is pretty cool. That's super not. I know they look like the same thing. You know, like when the, a lot of dudes in the early 2000s were driving around in their Chrysler 300 and it really did kind of look like a Bentley, but it wasn't a Bentley. <laughs> you know, that's what I would do. I would, I would give my 16 my year old self the advice to, uh, to kind of unpack those things. What's the craziest story about going out on a first date? I have a feeling you had one hell of a run when you were in your 20s from Trey Thinks. I did. I did. But, uh... <laughs> I didn't have a lot of crazy first date stories because I didn't go on a lot of dates. I went on a crazy one, but I was, I was in a lifestyle that I didn't have a lot of dating. I just had a lot of meaningless sex uh but i did date this one girl this is a crazy story this is one the only one i can think of off the top of my head and i was coked out of my mind and she was very pretty she's a filipina girl and i worked with her at the time and we went to a sushi bar in pasadena and I knew that my friends, my male friends, were in Old Town Pasadena at the time at a, like a bar. And they were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm at blah, blah, blah I'm with this chick. And I we went to the sushi bar and we were like sitting down. And she she was very nice, very pretty. And I'm trying to be like a normal dude even though I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a maniac. I was a maniac at that point in my life. Before I got clean, like really tried to get clean. and And before it got too dark. So from... 99 to like 2000 like the beginning of 2001 i was in an an utter maniac because once after that before i got clean and and that last part of 2001 you know around 9 11 and 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 the end of 2001 there was no man. i was just so dark it was just dark i was isolated and dark and 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 suicidal and so there's no crazy stories to tell it was just bleakness horror but for this time, I was I was, right, I was living a savage life, and I was blown. I was so coked out. I was and I was drunk and I was coked out. And we go to this place. I remember she drove me. That's how because we worked together. She drove me from work, and I was so I was like, "Well, game's on." And I was just I was cranking sake, going to the bathroom, key shots, you know. So finally, where the food comes, and she starts eating. Like it, like Conan, in the scene where he's around the fire, he's eating the like leg of chicken or whatever, the bird they kill. All before me, bow before me because I am the greatest barbarian. And the shit's flying out of his mouth, you know? She, I mean, it was not that far from that. She was eating like a fucking utter barbarian like like a, like like Oliver Twist, you it's like the orphans when they finally get you with mouth open and shit flying out. And I was like, <gasps> and I excused myself to the bathroom to actually use the bathroom and then do more blow. And I just walked out after I was done. I just left the the, the sushi bar. And I went and found my friends. You, know, you got to remember, I didn't have a smartphone. I just had like a stick Motorola. And I think it was one of those like open up phones. I was calling people. I was like, where? I'm? I'm walking around in Old Town. Where are you? And I met them and I, then she didn't work the next day. I did. Finally, like two days later, she shows up at work. She's like, what happened? I said I'm really sorry. I don't remember the lie I think I got si- I said I got sick and I knew you drove and I'm really sorry. I can't remember if I offered to give her money for the food we had just ordered. But that's true. That is I that's the craziest thing I can remember. I literally let I walked past I got out of the bathroom and instead of walking back to the table, I just kept on going. See you later. I can't be around that eating. I'm not proud of that, but that's my craziest story. You asked. Oh, Coach Vic from the Thai Boxing Institute. Hey, Lechuga, besides me in our training sessions, what are some memorable coaches and experiences that you had Why and why are they memorable? That's a really good question. Uh, well, honestly, me, I know you were making a joke and you called me lettuce, uh, but certainly working with Coach Vic at the Thai Boxing Institute uh, was very memorable because he's very good at Technically breaking down the art of Muay Thai, which I was very, always very fascinated by, uh, the art of eight limbs. And that was very meaningful to me for a couple reasons. One, because Muay Thai, even more so than uh, other striking sports, is really based on you chilling the fuck out. It's super savage. I mean, it's just the most, the most brutal, besides maybe way, which is just like enhanced Muay Thai. It's the most brutal combat sport there is knees and elbows to the face is fucking insane and leg kicks where you can't walk for weeks i mean that's there's nothing more brutal but the the sport itself doesn't exist you can't go berserker you have to be composed and find yourself and like find the ability to be able to move without spazzing because you spaz and you're done um and so Vic was really good at, like, not only the, de- the actual technical details of Muay Thai, but also helping me just to get to that center, which has helped me tremendously in my grappling, honestly, because, uh, I don't, I don't gas out like crazy from trying to, you know, smash, smash, smash all the time. I'm always, I'm constantly nose breathing and being patient. Working with Martin Burkhan of Lean Gains, um, had helped me really understand, uh, something that's working with martin has been huge in what i do now working with clients he was the guy who really opened up my eyes to food volume and the feeling of being full and how to get as full as possible with as little calories as possible and the idea of you know thermic effect of protein and stuff so martin was great at opening my eyes to Smashing as much food into your body with as little calories as possible. So you're essentially taking on the, the least challenging fight for the most money, you know, if you, to put it in, in fighting terms, right? I'm getting the biggest purse for the least challenging partner. Um, you know, if you're getting four or 500 calories from potatoes and, and chicken breast, and I'm, I literally can't think of finishing the last bite because I'm so stuffed. That's amazing if you're trying to diet because four or five hundred calories of hamburger. I'll be start. I will do three of those four hundred fifty calorie hamburgers. You know, so he he was great. That was really useful for me. Stan Effording working with Stan Effording and getting some understanding about not only it's not only about what you eat, it's about what you digest and also how that food makes you feel. That you know, it's something I talked about earlier in this podcast. Stan has been great. I recommend all his books and all his teachings. Um. Certainly, okay, working with Crone and Hickson. I trained at Crone uh, Gracie's Academy back uh, for the, the last part of my living in Los Angeles. And Crone is really a, a thoughtful, interesting guy. And obviously, clearly, world class grappler. But Crone's like a really interesting guy. He has his own take on things. He's not someone, he marches by the beat of his own drum. And is not a big guy. You know, he's a, he a beautiful man with a beautiful body, but he's not like this. A lot of modern grappling has become all about like these roided out monsters. And that game doesn't work for me, you know? I, d- I just did a seminar with Nicky Rod, and don't get me wrong, Nicky Rod's as awesome as they get, right? I mean, on the mats, he's amazing. But he was showing me some of his, like, body lock, uh, roddy lock, as Nicky Rod calls it, and it's and it was picture perfect when it could work. If I did it to anyone who was like bigger and stronger than me, which is most people, um I felt you know, I felt very limited by it, you know? Because Nikki rod's who's bigger and stronger than Nicky Rod? I mean real. Like the mountain, maybe. Uh but Crohn's like a like a slight little guy. Endless cardio, amazing athleticism, but not he's not gonna smash you. So he had this way and you could see it when he would fight at ADCC. He would take these wrestlers and they'd just he'd be like, go ahead, shoot your double. And they could, boom, guillotine, done. Because he, he was so precise. Like he had this way of analyzing things. Like he showed me how to do a guillotine one time. And it was like I tweaked like the positioning of my hand. And it went from useless to death and uh, and it, that like opened up my eyes in so many ways and also chrome's like a really cool chrome chrome was always just like a cool guy he was like a genuinely not mean cool guy like fonzie like he was like a genuinely good personable guy to be around so that was de- definitely will stick with me forever and then of course while he was training for some of his mma fights he would be so busy he couldn't train so hickson would teach the the afternoon class and you know i was doing love line so i couldn't go to night classes and so there'd be Very few people at the noon classes and Hickson's teaching. And uh, Hickson, yeah, there's a lot that happened there. One time, you know, I actually talked to my wife sometimes about stuff that Hickson would tell me. Like so she can make it relate to acting because like one time he told me there was this. I always tell this story on different podcasts because people are fascinated by Hickson, you know. And there was this guy there and he was this Asian dude. Like five, six, but jacked. He was so jacked. He looked like odd job. And uh, Hickson was showing a way to elevate your hips to from the guard to attack. And this guy, you know, after like three or four times of Hickson showing it, this guy goes, uh, "Master Hickson, I'm sorry, I my legs are so wide and stubby. I don't, I don't think I can do that. I mean, physically, I don't think I can get my legs to position that way." Uh, and Hickson goes, then don't do it. And we're all like, "Well, <laughs> can you elaborate?" And he goes, "My jujitsu is not your jujitsu." And he and then he stopped and he broke it down. He said, "I can give you tips. I give you exercise spots. Your jujitsu has to be your jiu-jitsu. How it fits your mind, how it fits your body is special, unique for how you do it." And um, and he ta- he talked about how he's like, obviously there's fundamental ideas, but. How you develop your style is so unique to you, and it can never be. No one can ever take that away from you. You shouldn't fear that, you know. And and that's something that like really stuck with me. And I is I, a very true story. We were ta- my wife is doing an audition one time, and we were you know now that most auditions are self-tape, right? I, I I obviously I'm not like helping her act, but I'm there filming and I'm reading with her and stuff. And I told her that story, and what I meant by that is like you—you know, you can get so bogged down of like this is how Meryl Streep does it, this is how you know Daniel Day Lewis does it, right? But the reality is, is like it's an art. There's fundamental ideas you can learn, and you should be able to keep as as foundational um, kind of premises. But how you develop your art is so unique to you, and that's one thing that Hickson said that I'll never, never, ever forget. He also talked about one time that I, I take this away. I took this away. Uh, and use it in all aspects of my life he was talking about how like you should roll all day with people who are way better than you and then when you have time you should roll with people who are just as good as you but you always should make time to roll people you're way better than and uh it it wasn't just personally to me we weren't it was in a class and he and someone asked you know well can you can you elaborate he said yeah he said you got to roll people who are you know masters that just you stand no chance because you're you're, you'll elevate your game. You'll be focused. You're, you're drum tight. You need those people to, to smash you, keep you humble. Also, work your defense, and you may pick up things. You get the osmosis of working with a world-class grappler, right? You need people who are just as good at about the same level so that you can push yourself. It's a competitive feeling. Like, I got to get this guy this time because last time he got me, and here I go. And I feel confident that I can do it, but I also know, like, he's pretty good, and he's not going to – he's no he's no slouch. So you're kind of – it's a good push and pull. He's like – but if you're constantly working with, with black belts and you're a blue belt, you'll never feel safe to try shit and grow. You need the people who are like it's their third week so that you can feel comfortable and confident to just let go and, and grow as a as a grappler to try stuff. And um, my ironically, my wife had a similar situation where she was, uh, I, we were talking about this and she had had a similar story from an acting class that she went to where the teacher was saying, like, if you're always acting, you know, if you get the chance to be on set with Brian Cox or, you know, Robert De Niro, of course you do that and and it'll elevate you because you're working with people who are great. And if you're working with people who are right around your level, of course, that's where you, that's, that's a great place to be, but you need to take these classes and feel comfortable working with people who are like new to acting because, or else you'll never feel comfortable and safe to, to make crazy decisions. To just be wild, right? And I certainly see that in in grappling um, because I don't feel all that comfortable like going for really elaborate submissions very much. But I will if it's if it's like you're a two stripe white belt. I'm gonna fly up and try to armor you, you know. And so you know, just that that was something that I took away from from me, and, and I see it in um, in a lot of aspects of life. Uh, great. Second session of the Q&A. Great questions. Thank you, everybody, as always. Thank you to all of my, all of my Patreon clients. I do have uh, some spaces available at the top tier. And also, just to join on my Patreon, I'd really appreciate it. It helps make the show go. And then I do think I put I put the work in to make content for you that's at my Patreon. I got the link in the show notes below. Thank you to Giorgio Krutzenupadnakanis, the great putso having Greek warrior. Thank you to Bet Online, as always, and First Attachment, the greatest health and fitness supplements on the planet. And plus, if you live an active lifestyle, unfortunately, hemorrhoids might be something you deal with. I'm not kidding around. If you give birth, if you lift heavy weights, if you are putting a lot of pressure on your trunk there, hemorrhoids can happen. South of the Border is the greatest holistic product you can use for the affected area, and thank you to them for also helping make this show go. Use the code AHOLE for a discount. See? A-holistic. a Whole. And in this crazy mixed-up world that makes you think that nobody cares, remember, I do. Be good. Thank you for listening to Believe.